0: Thank you to all our readers. Let's uh, bow our heads, if we may, and pray together. Lord God, there is nothing of what you have going on by your Holy Spirit that we do not want uh, for ourselves. There are so many ways in which we might ask that you would make us content. But we pray, too, that you would make us discontent until we know all that you have for us. Amen. Well, there is a lot going on this morning, and I want to uh, keep it fairly crisp and use four pictures. The first is a picture of what it is that Peter is doing in his sermon. The emphasis of the sermon is simple, but it's devastating. Find it if you uh, have closed your Bibles. It's page... Uh, 1,093. This Jesus, whom you crucified, has been raised as Lord to the right hand of God and has poured out upon you his spirit, as promised. And if the fire of the spirit has come now, then the fires of judgment are not far behind. It's very simple. And Peter presents Jesus, the Lord, as a great, simple fact of God. He doesn't immediately appeal to them, to receive Jesus into their hearts. He doesn't personalize it in any way. It's simply a fact. He builds up that fact relentlessly. This is the scripture that's relevant. Wicked men killed Jesus. God raised him. That too was foretold in scripture. Now this Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit from God, as you can see for yourselves. This Jesus is therefore both Lord and Christ. There's nothing in that talk about the cross. There's nothing uh, in that talk about Jesus as Saviour. Because for Peter, Jesus is Saviour primarily because he is Lord. The promise from the prophet Joel was in verse uh, 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, And how will you be saved? Because you recognize this fact, this great rock thrown into the lake of history. Jesus has been raised as Lord. It's just facts. It's just the story. The great day of the Messiah is here and they would know as Jews that the right response to the Messiah is to recognize him as Lord, to bow. But this sermon, this narrative of what has happened has to meet a response of some kind of course. And they say, uh, the people in verse 37, Brothers, What shall we do? This is a story that demands a response. We need to know what to do with these facts. From the apathy of just hanging around, we know that the story is pointing straight at us, they say. By the sound of it, the Messiah came and we crucified him, and the Spirit is upon us, So can judgment from this Lord be far behind? Brothers, we're cut to the heart. What are we going to do? The story has just been of facts. Yet it demands of them that they take responsibility. That they step out of line from their past and do different. Remarkable as the story is that Peter has told. It's not all the story of what God does. (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. It demands that whatever their own story has been up to now, they must step out and change. And Peter gives them an answer. But it's an interesting one. Um, the Pentecost always poses a challenge for the readings in church. You have, rightly, to have the story at the beginning of chapter two but you kind of miss something if you don't go all the way through to the end of chapter 2. So I'm going to include uh, verses 42 and 47, as though we'd had those. Based on what we read in those verses, and later on, again in later chapters, Peter could have said, in response to the question, what do we do? Well, yes, that was a very wrong thing. But God is kind, so now I'm going to call on you to learn and gather, and worship, and share, and give, and welcome, and praise, and open your homes, and maybe it'll be all right. He could have said that, but he doesn't. All those things happen in verses 42 to 47, but that's not the sequence of events. Because next in the sequence, the third of our pictures, verse 38, is... Repent and be baptized. Now that is specific to them on that day at first. That's what we have to recognize. It's specific. According to verse 36, they have crucified Jesus and must now repent of it. Well, if it's specific to them, how does that leave us? Of course, in exactly the same situation. We are not of that generation that crucified Jesus. But if Jesus is who Peter says he is, and we have not acknowledged him as Lord, then it is the fundamental, the most basic sin of sins. We've lived in the world as God's creatures, but have shut out the creator from our lives and have dismissed his son. Yes, it is specific to them that they must repent of the sin of crucifying Jesus. But that rebellion against God in Christ is exactly the same in every generation. If it wasn't, all of us would immediately uh, turn to Christ and go, oh, isn't it fantastic? There there is a God. Uh, It would be part of the air we breathe, but we know it isn't. It's the sin we harbor in our heart the most basic and fundamental of sins. And so just like them, we must repent and be baptized. And a public sin of rebellion demands an equally public sin of repentance, hence a uh, public sign of repentance, hence baptism. There is, on this day of Pentecost, a once-for-all, unrepeatable aspect of the Pentecostal life. Faced with the story that is now complete, I must once and for all bow the knee, accept responsibility, repent and be baptized. And that's our third picture. But that's not the end of the account of the day. The reading is chosen, obviously, because it is the day of Pentecost. But it's not just that. Not here. Some while ago, Will, our curate, and I, he's away with the 20s and 30s uh, this weekend. Uh, Will and I realized that we have in our vision statement that we love one another, we serve our networks and local communities, we grow in the likeness of Jesus. We have in that statement the tools available to describe a church that is directing itself upwards to be more like Jesus. Inwards, to develop unity and fellowship. And outwards, to see the world change. And I wanted to use the communion services of spring and summer to remind us of those directions. Today, up. Growing more like Jesus. And the account of that day does not end with them asking their what-to-do question. And then being told to repent and be baptised. First, there is the promise of God's own Holy Spirit. I wonder how hard it is for us to get the enormity of this into our minds and hearts. They have crucified his son, God's son, but God is going to give them his spirit. Isn't that amazing? The promise of the spirit there in Verse 39, living in us, growing, changing us. That is given to all those who repent and and are baptized, even though we have till that moment spent our lives holding up, ignoring the Son of God. So that's the promise of the Spirit. But then there's the story of the experience of the Spirit in the church. It's there at the start of the account, as they stand up and we have the blowing of the wind and the, the languages that are spoken as, or understood as the apostles speak of God's wonders over the generations. It's there at the start, but it's there at the end as well. And that's where we see this body of people who come, if you remember, from all over, the ancient world, all kinds of reasons for them politically to be divided, but they are now together. And in these verses, 42 to 47, we find that they are learning and gathering and worshipping and sharing and giving and welcoming and praising and opening their homes. There is growth, there's our fourth picture, that shows itself in actual change on the ground. And if there's a particular stress I would leave with you this morning, I would ask this. Are you still being changed by Jesus the Lord, God his Father, and by his Spirit? I suspect that the answer for a lot of us is, oh, I don't know. And so the question becomes, are you in relationships that will tell you Are you in relationships that can reflect back to you that you are changing? I think this matters particularly for those of us who've walked the Christian road for a long time. Long ago, you bowed and changed, repented, were baptized. Of course, if you haven't done those things, there's never a bad time to do it. So do it. But for many for whom that's in the past and a while ago, it's been a while since you have known that you are growing. But it happens. I thank God for a man among us (coughs) who has had health challenges, and through those, that man has been manifestly drawn closer to God, and there is renewal and change. He's clearly been touched by the Spirit of God in new ways. Is that true for you? Is it true for all of us? Or do you say, well, I'm just not that kind? There is no kind. Not when you come from, what? Parthia, Medea, Elam, Mesopotamia, Judea. Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. There is no kind. There's people from everywhere. Is that true for you? It is vital to repent and be baptized. You can't skip that stage. But growth from God's spirit to be more like Jesus is equally vital. It's from his spirit. But look at verse 42. It's they who devoted themselves. They took responsibility. They lived out the change. Sin was dealt with. Desire was kindled. Generosity overflowed. Service multiplied. They took responsibility. Well, a while ago, we tried something. And I propose that we try it again. We have communion uh, coming up. And uh, often enough, at the rail, we invite you that when you've received communion, you simply hold your hands like that, if you would like someone to pray for you. Uh, I want to make a suggestion that you hold your hands like that, not, well, of course, if you would like prayer for anything, Uh, but simply to say, no, I, I, I have not changed, as far as I can tell, as much as I would like to be doing. Holy Spirit of God, change me, renew me again. Whatever that means, and I have no idea what that will mean for you, which of all those many things in verses 42 to 47 will be part of your life, which of those many things at the beginning of the the chapter will be part of your life. But if you want to see your desire rekindled, then I suggest you take the bread, you take the wine, and then you simply hold up your hands, and there will be people at the rail coming along behind to pray very simply for you. They won't ask you any questions. If you want to have prayer later on, that's great. There'll be a team in the chapel on your right, as ever. But I simply suggest, having tried it once and it seemed significant, we try it again. Change me, grow me, all over again. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we've come to church and I suppose, uh, well church is church, we've, we've come thinking we might like it, we've come thinking we might not, we've come thinking, oh the sun's shining, I'd rather be in the garden. It's all kinds of thoughts we may have had. Not many of us will have thought that the living God of heaven and earth might reach out and touch us by his spirit to exalt Jesus as Lord in new ways in our life. but we don't want to miss out. And if you've got good stuff for us, Lord, how we want it. Amen.